Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Revolution Recap, a weekly review of the New England Revolution, Major League Soccer, and the U.S. National Team on WNRI AM 1380 and streaming live on the Internet at WNRI.com. Brought to you by Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com, covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. And now, Revolution Recap with your host, Sean Donahue. Welcome to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue here live at WNRI AM 1380. Um, we, we will be taking phone callers today for out, throughout the show. The numbers for that are 1-800-949-WNRI. That's 1-800-949-9674. Um, and locally, 401-769-0600 and 401-766-1380. So call in any time if you want to contribute to the show. Um, the Revolution last night, a disappointing one nothing loss to the Columbus crew. Um, heading into the match, the Revs were five points back from the crew with five games left uh, for both teams in the, re- the rest of the season. Um, obviously, a win would have brought the Revs within two points and also given them the tiebreaker um, as, and as for the race for the Supporter Shield and the top seed in the Eastern Conference. Um, so the Revs really needed a win to have any chance of taking that. Um, but with the one nothing loss, the Revs are now eight points back with only four games left. It's hard to see any scenario now where they could actually take the number one seed. Uh, still, however, in second place and in good position there. Um, Chicago Fire, though, just one point back. Um, both teams now with four four games left, so the Reds will need to do, uh, really avoid dropping any points if they want to hold on to the second seed, which uh, could be pretty crucial if the Reds want that second game at home in the playoff series against the Chicago Fire, a team that they've really struggled against um, in the regular season. Uh, and the Eastern Conference really starting to shape up in the playoff picture here now. Uh, with New York behind Chicago with 35 points, DC um, falling three to nothing today actually to uh, FC Dallas um, at Pizza Hut Park, and DC firmly in fifth place there in the East with Kansas City right behind them, and then Toronto. Um, Toronto looks like it's pretty safe bet to say they're not going to make the playoffs at this point. Um, in the Western Conference now with Houston at the top of the standings with 40 points, Chivas with with 36, um, Colorado and Salt Lake both with 34, and then Dallas right behind them with 33. Um, Salt Lake, of course, with a big win yesterday uh, against the San Jose Earthquakes, um, actually in um, San Jose, and winning that one 3-2, to two, and San Jose actually took a 2-1 lead early in the second half, thanks to Darren Huckerby. Um, so the, that, the Western Conference, still plenty of, plenty of movement going on there, and uh, that playoff pitcher isn't settled yet, um, especially with Dallas' win today. But San Jose had really been coming on strong lately. looks like they're not going to make the playoffs either, but... Going back to the Revolution game, this was a big opportunity for the Revs to take the supporter shield, um, to move into a position to go forward and get the supporter shield and to get the top seed in the Eastern Conference. But um, Steve Nichol came out with the Revs playing a 4-4-2 formation uh, with Gabriel Ladea, Michael Parkhurst, 
um, in the center of the of the defense, and Chris Albert on the right, and Jay Heaps on the left. And really, from the opening whistle, the defense looked uh, at, a t- at times out of sync. Um, Parker's, Michael Parker is a great defender, but it seems that um, certainly he's more used to playing in a three-man back line in his professional career, and I think uh, he looks a lot better playing there for the Revs. And it seemed like the Revs' center defenders, him and Badia, I don't, I'm not sure how much of that has to do with Badia's um, really, I guess, only basic understanding of English at this point in time, uh, weren't communicating too well because Columbus had some good chances early on um, and probably could have been ahead by more than just one goal going into halftime, and that goal being Chad Marshall on a Robbie Rogers corner kick, um, which was, again, he was wide open on this. No one was marking him, so poor, poor defense there. Um, was some questions of maybe a push on Matt Reese in that play, but uh, still not a single defender was anywhere near Chad Marshall when he got in the head. So you got to wonder what was going on there and who was supposed to be marking him. Um, cl- clearly an error there, but the Revs had not given up a goal on a corner kick, I believe, all season. Um, so, again, very disappointing to see that going, especially going towards the uh, heading towards the playoffs. Uh, but then the Revs eventually did switch into a 3-5-2 formation in the 59th minute. Uh, I was actually ho- hoping they would do it at halftime the way they were playing, but um, finally they brought in Niasi for Badia, and uh, Kelly Dubé came on at forward for Kenny Mansali. Mansali actually had the Revs' best chance of the game um, when Shari Joseph played him a through ball um, into the box, and Mansali was one-on-one with the keeper, got around him, and somehow Frankie Hayduke um, made a game-saving play there, getting back and kicking the ball out of bounds, and somehow managed to outpace Mansali, who, as we all know, has a lot of speed. Uh, but Frankie Hayduke later on in the match um, lost lost any anything he gained from that by getting a ridiculous uh, red card. He had an earlier yellow card in the sixth, just the sixth minute for a stupid tackle on Kenny Mansali. And then I don't know what the heck he was thinking when Matt Reese caught the ball after uh, what was a great shot from Hayduke, actually, that was blocked by the Rose defense, uh, was picking it up, going to throw it out to a Revolution player. And Frankie Hayduke came over and kicked the ball out of his hands. Uh, your team is leading one nothing. You're the captain of the team. I don't know what was going through his mind when he did that, but uh, I don't think any, any other words than stupid can describe uh, what he was doing there. But it's great, great benefit for the Revs now up a man. They couldn't take advantage of it. They really didn't create any good chances going forward. And, uh, it was very disappointing to see this Revs team that uh, we've seen do so well offensively in the past really fail to take any advantage of this man advantage. Um, D- Columbus obviously were packing it in the back and playing good defense to hold on to that one nothing lead, but... Revs couldn't get any clear-cut chances um, in that period, and that was disappointing. Uh, we did talk to Steve Nickel and got his comments from the post-game press conference after the match uh, and hear what he thought of his team's performance. Obviously not happy with what he saw. Talk about what you were um, hoping to achieve when you, uh, you brought in Kelly and, and uh, Sonny there. Were you hoping for a little bit more attacking at that point? or What, were, what, what didn't you like and what were you hoping to Well, I mean, first half we were, we were well, like most of the game, we were just dumb, you know. I mean, if you look, you look at how they played, and how we played, particularly first half. You know, we 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 tried to make passes in the middle of the in the, in the middle of our own our own half, uh, and they just squeezed us. And and that's okay. You know, there's 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 times when you have to play the game ugly. You know, uh, it wasn't the way it turned out. It wasn't a night for for playing pretty passes and getting through people. You know, because we did that, we tried that, and it didn't work. But we didn't, we weren't smart enough to change it. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to get it on to, to, to stretch the game and get it forward earlier. Uh, we didn't do it. Um, we, we really never, you know, Taylor did a couple of chances. Coley's made a great save. Uh, but, you know, really it wasn't, it wasn't smart. You know, we, we, we've lost because tonight we were dumb.
you know, they were well organised. Uh, you know, Moreno up front. I lost count the number of times so he, he held the ball up and, and got them out second half. Uh, he did a fantastic job for them. Um, but even then, we go we go a man up and, and we don't get the ball wide enough early enough. Um, so we, you know, we really we really were pretty pretty dumb tonight. You know, we weren't smart at all the way we the way we went about it. Steve, uh, seems that uh, your team has a hard time playing a four four two formation. It uh, seems that your team did a lot better uh, when you changed to the three five two. Why start a four four two formation? Well, they're, they're a counter attacking team. You know, they'll they'll try and squeeze you early as they did, uh, and then they'll hit you on the break. So you know, we're not going to number one go playing with three. We're not going to leave holes for them to run into. Uh, but secondly, uh, the formation really, to be honest, has nothing to do with, with how we played. You know, we were just dumb. You know, if we played three in the back um, and still made passes into the middle, we'd still have got squeezed. So the formation really doesn't have much to do with it. You know, we go to three because because we have to try and get more men forward. That's the only reason we did it. We, we try to get people forward um, and take a chance on them breaking. And uh, uh, when you play the 4-4-2, if, if you two, uh, you two uh, defensemen, the right and the left back, doesn't move forward, then you're not pushing enough men forward. Is that designed that the right back stays back all the time? In the first half. Well, in the first half, if you if you, if you don't pass the ball, you can, you, your fullbacks can't go forward if you don't have the ball. Simple as that. You know, it's not a case of <laughs> it's not a case of getting your fullbacks forward. Um, uh, if you don't have the ball, how can they go forward? We didn't have the ball. We kept we kept losing the ball. So it's there's no point in them going forward if we don't have the ball. Then they do leave a hole. So I mean, it's it's a mute point to be honest with you. Stevie, uh, talk a lot about team wanting to go out and dictate. To them, not them dictating you. Did, do you feel like it worked out the other way tonight? I think certainly first half. Um, you know, again, it was, it was nothing to do with attitude and, and the commitment of the players. We just weren't smart. You know, we, we were going about it the wrong way, and we and we didn't change it. You know, we have to we have to realise that when we're doing one thing and it's not working, we have to change it. You know, uh, if you keep banging on the door and nobody opens it, then you got to find another way of getting in. No, again, they had, you know, they defended well. You know, once we started getting away, they defended well. You know, obviously we'd like, we'd like great balls in all the time, uh, but there was a lot of bodies in the box. Uh, yes, you're always wanting better balls, but, you know, there's a lot of bodies in the box. They, de they defended well, but we, we could still have got it wide more than we did and earlier than we did. Yeah, certainly disappointing, uh, as you could hear, Steve Nichol not happy with his team's performance there. Um, really not not a good job by the Revs at all. They get off to a start, a, a fast start, especially at home, in front of the home fans. You would have expected better from the Revs. And going against the Columbus crew, that really missing their best player, Guillermo Barros-Scoloto, um, certainly that looked like an advantage for the Revs. And then even going up a man, they weren't able to take advantage of that. It was a great opportunity for the Revs. And... Uh, can't be good for confidence, I would imagine, going forward into the playoffs. Um, going when they're likely, well, they'll likely have to get past Columbus to make it to the Cup final, um, and have to do it in Columbus. Having lost now four nothing to Columbus um, recently, and now this one nothing loss at home. Uh, certainly, the Revs haven't haven't had a good good run of form against Columbus or Chicago, the two uh, teams in first and third in the Eastern Conference that they're going to have to get past to get to that MLS Cup. Um, going forward, so doesn't doesn't bode well for the Revs. They're going to have to adjust to be able to beat these two teams um, going forward. 
And I, I do have to wonder if Nickel will go back to the 3-5-2 because the Revs really haven't looked good in a 4-4-2 formation this year. They've played it several times. They have one win with a four-man back line this entire season. Um, Twelve wins on the year. Only one of them has been in a 4-4-2 formation. I, I don't know why you don't stick with what, what's been working, but um, that one win, of course, coming way back in April when the Revs had just about nobody available and were forced to do that, and I don't think anyone expected them to win that game when they managed to do it, and they looked good then, but I really don't think they've looked that good in a 4-4-2 formation um, really at all this season. Uh, so it's worked on the road to get a couple of draws, but uh, at home I think you go with the 3-5-2, uh, where the Revs have done so well really since Nicholas taken over playing that formation. Uh, we did talk to a few more guys at the end of that game, including Revs midfielder Jeff Lerano. The general attitude in the locker room was a great disappointment that the Revs had lost um, an opportunity to catch up on Columbus, and certainly Jeff was no different different uh, from his comments after the game, not happy that the Revs uh, gave up a great chance to gain some points on Columbus. Yeah, um, as far as... A- you know, them neutralizing us when we went up a man. I don't really know if that happened. I think they just kind of sat in and they just kind of sat in the box and, and, and were strong and cleared the ball out. I don't know if they really neutralized us. We controlled the game from then on. It's one nothing at that point, so it doesn't matter. We, it's another example of us, you know, not coming out strong enough in the first half and, and letting an opportunity slip. Jeff, uh, Steve was saying, but like you guys just weren't playing, weren't adjusting well to um, certain things in terms of I guess, I mean, at times, you know, we can be pretty stubborn. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the things that we, we like to do, at times, you know, that's not the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think at halftime we spoke about that and, and made the adjustments. So I think maybe what Steve was, was alluding to is the things we did in the first half. Um in the second half, it was it was maybe a little bit different, but but like you said, you know, they're they're a counterattacking team. They've got a ton of speed, and and that's what they do. So can you just talk about the disappointment of not being able to to get to gain some ground on Columbus? Yeah, that's that's just it. It's just disappointment. I mean, like I said, it's an opportunity gone by the wayside that that we had staring us in the face at home um, against a team who's who's arguable, arguable best players out. Um, I mean that's just it. It's just a it's just a time that we all need to look at ourselves in the mirror and and, uh, and really change things before next weekend. What can you take from this game, Jeff? Going you know, realizing that you guys may have to face this team again in the playoffs. Um, I don't think it's a Columbus thing. I think it's a Revolution thing. Um, as far as us coming out strong and from the first minute, you know, we we were a bit slow. And like she alluded to, you know, Stevie said that you know, we weren't adjusting well. So those are things that, that really uh, affect the way the games start and, uh, you know, who gets that first goal. Again, that was Revolution midfielder Jeff Toronowitz. Some other interesting things to note from that game um, is that the goalkeeper, William Hesmer, got a yellow card late in the, in the match in the second minute of overtime for uh, arguing a play in which I believe he was taken out by a Revolution player. Uh, it was challenging for the ball. I didn't catch exactly who it was. Um, got a yellow card for arguing about that. Um, but more interestingly there was uh, the Columbus head coach, C.E. Schmidt, was ejected from the match there um, uh, for for also protesting after Hesmer got the yellow card. Interesting to see him leaving the stadium, walking backwards, and taking as, as much time as possible to get out of there. Um, didn't seem like, I, I think he might have not have left the stadium by the time the game was over with the speed he was going. So it was interesting to see him get so animated, especially when his team 
is winning one nothing, and there's less than two minutes left of the game, and uh, they're in possession of the ball. I'm not sure what the what the big deal was there for him, but uh, I think he might have gotten a little too animated over that one. But uh, obviously, again, the Revs having a great opportunity up a man, didn't take advantage of it. Uh, we did get to talk to one more player after the game, and that was uh, Shari Joseph, uh, usually one of the leaders on the field for the Revs. Didn't have necessarily his best performance, I'd say, against Columbus. I don't think any of the Revs really did. Uh, but we got his thoughts on the uh, Revolution's performance against Columbus. Yeah, they played like the best team in MLS. We weren't good enough tonight. We tried. We put out effort, but at the end of the day, we were just not good enough. Shari, Steve, you say anything felt like you guys were a little stubborn since the number of adjustments between the first half. Can you tell us what you were seeing out there? He just wanted us to push up some more and try to win more second balls, and we were trying, but we were just not getting the connect. Even when they were in a man down, we were just not moving the ball well enough. We got it wide, and we tried to whip crosses, but we didn't pick up second balls, and we didn't create enough chances or turn them around. I even put them on their back heel, even in the first half. So it's a frustrating game. We didn't do well enough tonight at home, and we just got to look forward to next week now. How big of a test did you guys see this as going into the game, obviously, with you guys you know, 1-2 in MLS? Yeah, it was a huge test, and basically we failed it. We wanted to put more and them to win out the games to try to get the supporter shield. But tonight we came more short. We put out our effort out there, but as I said, it just wasn't good enough. Oh, can you take from a game like this, obviously, knowing that you guys may have to face these guys again in the playoffs? Uh, we just got to try to find some positive tonight. We, it's hard to find some positive. I mean, we moved the ball well. We created chances, but it was just not good enough. They did what they were And then they defended for, the life, for their life. You can say they created one or two chances after that, but they just defended well. Seems like you guys haven't been creating as many chances when you play the uh, four-man back line as opposed to the 3-5-2. I had an extra man is in the back, and we just got to know how to use that extra man. I mean, it's hard when we have four guys in the back. We've been a 3-5-2 team. We missed count on the left side today, creating more chances. But we're going to have to say make adjustments and try to look forward to the next week game and just still try to, try to wrap up a spot for the playoff. Even if it's second place, it's still a great regular season. We still got to make sure we keep pushing and pushing because the playoff is right around the corner. Again, that was Revolution midfielder Shari Joseph on last night's one nothing loss to Columbus. Um, we talked a bit about the yellow cards and the red cards handed out there. Joseph himself got um, not the smartest yellow card of his career in the 94th minute uh, with kind of a retaliatory foul for uh, what I'm sure he felt was a uh, foul against, I believe, Jeff Lerunowitz that went on call. Um, he committed a foul that was always going to be a yellow card and got him a yellow card. And he was only He's only uh, two yellow cards away from... Uh, suspension heading into the game, so now he's only one with four games left. So not the smartest time to get a get a card there, especially with the game already lost for the Revs. Uh, disappointing to see him do that. Uh, some other things to note from last night's game: good attendance, uh, noted recorded as 15,035. I'm not sure there are quite that many there, um, but it was very impressive attendance for considering the weather. Um, from what we saw, I was not expecting that at all. It was pretty. Pretty full in the lower bowl. Um, most of the people huddled up under the under the uh, roof there, where they could get under the above under the higher level stands, where they could get under the roof and avoid the rain. But really, a great crowd there. Um, I believe it was one of the Beckham Four Pack games. And they actually had opened up part of the other side of the stadium, which is interesting to see. I don't think they would have done that uh, otherwise with the way the weather was going. But it was a great crowd considering the weather. 
Um, too bad the Revs couldn't have put on a better performance to give them something to, to cheer for and give them something to get excited about and come back. Uh, but really, it was a, a great crowd to see at Gillette Stadium and uh, disappointing to see the Revs lose. But uh, I, I think Columbus is a great team this year and it really has proven to be the class of the league from their performances overall this year. It'll be very tough for any team to get past them going into the uh, MLS Cup final. I know last week we talked a bit about um, the standings and uh, how the Revs look like uh, a contender despite Columbus's good performances, but I think after last night it's fair to say that Columbus is the top team in this league and uh, will be the team to beat going into the playoffs. Um, we are going to take a quick break here now, and we're going to be uh, back with Jim Dow uh, from Revsnet.com on the phone. for soccer in New England? It's all right here at Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. New England's premier soccer magazine celebrating over 20 years of in-depth soccer coverage. Professional teams, college soccer, men's and women's amateur leagues, youth and high school teams, Soccer New England Magazine's got it covered. Looking for youth soccer camps? You'll find them here. Dedicated to bringing the excitement of soccer home to you with stories, scores, and insights in both print and on the web. Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. National Soccer Hall of Fame is every fan's dream. It's the history of the game in pictures and video, World Cups and jerseys. Visit us online at www.soccerhall.org and plan your trip to Oneonta. And now back to Revolution Recap with Sean Donahue on WNRI AM 1380. Welcome back to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, joined now over the phone by Jim Dow from ResNet.com. Jim, how are you doing today? Well, generally speaking, just fine. How are you? Great. Thanks a lot for joining us today. My pleasure. Well, we played uh, Steve Nichols' comments from after the game earlier. Uh, I, th- I think his one word to describe the team's performance was dumb. Uh, <laughs> what, dumb, and d- dumb and dumber, right? <laughs> What, what were your thoughts on the the Rose performance last night? Really a slow start and never really got going, it seemed like. Well, I think uh, the first half, uh, again, I, I was viewing the game from behind the goal where things are slightly foreshortened. But in the first half, it seemed like um, neither team was really able to get much going, and the game was played at, at quite a fast rate that was made even faster by the fact that it was so wet. Um, you know, Columbus seemed to do better at uh, figuring out how to possess the ball than the Revs did. Um, and then, uh, you know, the goal, there was, you, you couldn't even say the goal was against the run of play because there wasn't really any run of play for either team. So I think, you know, going in one nothing behind, uh, it could have just, it could have easily been the other way. Twelman had that little, uh, you know, tip that, uh, that uh, the goalie got to. Anyway, uh, I think in the second half, it really became obvious that um, the 4-4-2 just doesn't work as an attacking formation uh, against a good team uh, for the Revolution. 
And when they switched to the 3-5-2, they, they certainly were better. Um, and I think, you know, they could have come away with a tie. They didn't. Uh, they should have. Uh, but the fact is that uh, Columbus's 10 are better than the Revolution's 11. Yeah, and I, I, I think the crew did have some chances in the first half, too. Um, even the one leading up to that corner kick where they pro- probably could have scored, I think it was Moreno there, made a run all the way from midfield Yeah. Um, and wasn't really tracked there, and only a good save by Reese kept them from scoring there. But uh, it, it's, it's a good point you bring up about the 4-4-2. Especially with Jeff Lorenowitz and Shari Joseph as the central midfielders, it's a pretty defensive-minded uh, formation looking at it. And um, the fullbacks didn't really get forward much, par- partly because of, I think, the Columbus's um, outside midfielders, particularly Robbie Rogers, are a, a handful. And that oh, yeah, doesn't, d- doesn't provide a lot of opportunities to get forward. But were you surprised right. that, um, particularly with Scalotto out of this game, uh, that the Revs didn't go with a 3-5-2 formation to try yeah, to get I more w- attack going at home? I was, and uh, I think uh, you know it's 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 impossible to get into the minds of these guys. Uh, you know they don't they don't give the, the the coaches and so forth. They don't give up much in terms of of information, but uh, clearly, um, you know we know from the experience of being around this team that this is a very very pragmatically coached team. They don't do anything out of panic, but on the other hand, they have no illusions. So I think that they're probably presuming uh, some weaknesses there that they needed to cover up. Um, and, uh, you know, the game was such that, that yes, Columbus had a lot of chances to score, but the refs had a few chances to score as well. And I think that uh, the formation just allowed for uh, the kind of game that we saw, which was close, but uh, the Revolution never really had any kind of buildup. Yeah, and it, it seems like um, Badia is going to... Is- has a, a lot of potential. Has look, looked good for the Revs, but at the same time, I'm not sure um, that he's really formed a good partnership with Parkers in the middle there. And I think that's kind of hurt the Revs in uh, these couple of games when they've gone with this four-man back line. But is, is now the right time for the Revs to be you know, tr- changing things up and not going with the 3-5-2 that uh, has gotten them 11 of their 12 wins this season um, and trying to do something different? Well, here's, here's the situation as I see it. Um, Whenever the Revolution have two players who can pass the ball uh, on a consistent basis, and when those guys are either one or both of those guys are off for whatever reason, they don't do well. Uh, in the Columbus game, both Joseph and Ralston, for whatever reasons, chose to have bad games at the same time. And you saw the result. There was one kind of miracle play that got a goal, but the Revolution were very, very lucky to come out of uh, uh, Colorado with a draw. Uh, against uh, Columbus, one of their two best passers was playing, uh, for the most part, trapped against the right sideline. Uh, and the other best passer was playing uh, too far forward uh, to, for him to play at advantage. The best, the best way that those guys play is with, with Joseph behind Ralston. And uh, Ralston, as, as he says himself, moving laterally across the field, looking for little spaces to go into to... Uh, you know, dish the ball. Uh, he was even trying to do that from the right position, you saw the right-sided position. You saw certain times in the game where Ralston would drift across the field and make those little passes. But when he's spending, uh, you know, a good third to two-thirds of his time having to track back on defense, having to uh, try to beat guys to the byline, which with all due respect he no longer can do, uh, you know, you're losing uh, the advantage of one of your very, very best players and and one of the best players at the central midfield position in the league uh 
in Ralston has become uh, in you know his his golden years a number ten. Uh, so now you know we've had all these years looking for a number ten. We finally got one, and what's he doing? He's playing right midfield. That doesn't make any sense. Well, especially when you got a guy like Niasi, and I was thinking the whole game that um, Niasi would have been. Uh, I, I thought he did didn't do uh, his best performance when coming on, but it seemed like a game uh, in these slick conditions where Niasi's speed really could have helped the Revs out. Well, I think that's true, but I think also that that again, Nickel uh, Nickel's a, a, a pragmatist, and and there's something that he's seeing Niasi not doing uh, that uh, he sees Ralston doing, and that uh, and which I suspect is probably tracking back. Yep. <laughs> and uh, against a team that has uh, players of the quality of Robbie Rogers and uh, Alejandro Moreno, just to name two, uh, you know, there's got to be the consideration of of, of tracking back. You know, Columbus moves the ball beautifully. Uh, they're really fun to watch, uh, and that's even without uh, Scalotto. When Scalotto's there, uh, you know, they're they're one of the most entertaining teams in the league to watch, and they also have a nice little mean edge to them. Uh, you know, uh, they they've got some big guys, and they and they're not afraid to put the body around. So they're a really excellent, excellent team to watch. Yeah, and and uh, as you mentioned, Columbus. Uh, their 10 were better than the Revs' 11 on the night, which is, I think, the most disappointing part, that the Revs did have that advantage and couldn't take take it going forward. But how do you think this affects the Revs going into the playoffs? This is obviously a team that the Revs are uh, quite likely going to have to get past if they are to make it to the MLS Cup. And Chicago as well, uh, having Columbus and Chicago have had the better of the Revs um, in the regular season, is that going to be a confidence issue well, for the Revs? Well, I think uh, there's another little thing to remember, which is that, that uh, I'm not exactly sure how this structure works, but doesn't the fourth team to make it drop over into the other division? Uh, uh, you know, I mean, they, they're either going to have to go through, they're going to have to go through Chicago, they're going to have to go through Columbus, and they might have to go through Houston just to get to, just to get to the championship game. So I I, I really don't think. Uh, at this point, that the Revs are in any shape to uh, do anything but try to figure out how to get their best 11 as a team on the field as opposed to their best 11 players. I think what Nickel is trying to do, and I'm, I'm just guessing here, I think he's trying to put the best 11 players on the field, and that doesn't make a team. Uh, I'm afraid that uh, the, the group that was out on the field uh, you know, last night were for the most part, I mean, obviously, when they brought Wells Thompson in and so forth, you could argue about the fall-off in quality. But the, the starting 11 were, were uh, you know, uh, among their 11 best players. Maybe include Dubé and Niasi and that, and, uh, you know, I know people are going to scream, but maybe Kano Smith. But the fact is, it doesn't add up to a good 11. And the uh, 11 that Columbus had was a good 11. And when you think, okay, Columbus has three, four, maybe even five more players they can throw on the field, that's a team. Right now, the Revolution, with all due respect, because I think they've got some very, very good players, don't have a very good team. Well, it's a good point you bring up, and I think it goes back to um, when they were playing their best. Again, they were playing in this 3-5-2 formation. Maybe Badia, as you said, is you know, one of their best 11 players, and that's why I just don't understand why all of a sudden... Um, yeah, they had a string of bad form. They, these players weren't being rested, but um, it was a 3-5-2 formation that they used against Chivas at home to get that 4 nothing victory that kind of broke them out of that streak. And now all of a sudden, um, they go away to Colorado, get a, uh, a maybe a lucky, you could say, 1-1 draw against the Rapids. Yeah. Yeah. And 
I, I, I just don't think that they performed well all season in a 4-4-2 formation, regardless of who's been out there. And now that everyone's healthy, it just didn't, didn't make sense to me to start this. And it also didn't make sense that Nickel waited so long to change it up when it clearly wasn't working. I thought at halftime, maybe it would have been a good idea to bring on Neosti for Badia or switch things up there. Well, I think I think that Nickel is, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here, but just from uh, the slight degree to which I know him and uh, know people who, who know him pretty well, I think when Nickel goes into the uh, dressing room at halftime, he has some very, very clear things to say, and, and that his feeling uh, about professional players is that you should be able to go in when you have that, you know, 15 minutes with your orange juice or tea or whatever it is, and you should be able to say, okay, this isn't working, do that. Or, uh, you know, try this instead of uh, this other thing. And I think that's where a lot of his dumb remarks came, because I suspect he said to these guys, look, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, move over here, and they still didn't do it. And then, okay, then he pulled the plug and put in the 3-5-2. But I, I think Nickel expects these, these players to, to behave in a professional manner. Um, and I think in, in the case of being able to actually change their game as they're in the midst of play, uh, collectively they're not really able to do it right now. Now, he may be putting them by the formation he puts them in, putting them in at a disadvantage. I think it's very clear that Michael Parkhurst is not a center back in a 4-4-2. Uh, he doesn't have the jumping ability to uh, cut, out, cut out crosses. And Badia, I think, is very, very clearly, at least so far, uh, a central uh, a central back. Whether he can play in the three five two uh, as well as he plays in the four four two, I don't know. Did you see what he did at the at the beginning of the game when he was trapped in the ed, end uh, his end to the left of the goal with the ball? He went around two guys and then managed to put the ball off the third guy. You know. Somebody, he, he was left in a position where he, he had nobody to pass to, so he, he maneuvered with the ball until he could knock the ball off somebody's shin. Uh, that crunching tackle that he put on, I think it was Noonan, in the, uh, in the box, uh, you know, he's a really, really good player. But the problem is he doesn't necessarily fit the profile because I, don't, I, I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect that he can't play outside, that he's not fast enough to play outside. He's a central back, so what are you going to do? Well, I think you're absolutely correct. He's looked, he's shown some great signs individually that he's you know going to be a great player for this team. And maybe next year, um, if Parkers is gone, he'll be stepping into that three-five-two formation. Uh, if the Revs do go back to that, uh, I, I'm not sure whether he can play there or not. I, I I think he has the intelligence to play there from what we've seen from him. But I just think right now that he's not. He doesn't have the chemistry with Parkers. I think Parkers looks better. Uh, as you said, in a 3-5-2, and I think the defense as a whole looks better in a 3-5-2. I'm not sure I like Jay Heaps as a left fullback in this formation. I think he pulls it off well in a 3-5-2, but um, when you have responsibilities going forward, and clearly he's not that strong with his left foot, especially crossing into the box, um, and and especially at home when you want to get some chances going forward and you want your left back to be involved, uh, I, I'm not. Sure, I'm just not sure that works. Right. Well, remember that that also that that on a uh on a general level uh, in this country of professional soccer, um, that Albright and Heaps are both considered to be good players with the ball. Uh, you know, Heaps is not a good passer of the ball, but but well, he, well I think he, Heaps on the right side, yeah, um, exactly. is a lot more going forward at least is a lot better option than on the left side. Oh, absolutely, no, he's he's clearly a right-sided player, but but 
the, the thing is that that nominally uh, the four four two, if um, the players are given width, uh, the two fullbacks that the Revolution have should be able to bring the ball up. They're for the most part not doing it, and that of course is part of what's really causing a problem here. That they're the 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 game that the Revolution are playing seems to be thump it up and let Twelman chase it, uh, or give it up to the midfield and the midfield coughs the ball up. Uh, you know, it's not working. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people were posting today on Big Soccer, and I think they're very, very right. The, 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 the strength of this team is when they possess the ball. And if they don't possess the ball, they don't really have the, the overall uh, speed to uh, play a breaking game. They really have to, to move the ball around. There were there were a few passing interchanges in the second half, particularly after the you know the formation change. That were beautiful. Uh, was it uh, Niasi that was sent in all alone on uh, on uh, the the goalie? Um, there were two or three other situations that were. I think that might have actually been uh, Mansali from Joseph before they even made that change. On was it? Yeah, game. but there were there were two there were two or three really really good interchanges. But the thing is, with this team, you've got to have you got to have a few more than that. You just got to put the players in a position to be able to play uh, the style that suits them. Uh, again, I have tremendous respect for Nickel and Mariner, and and I cannot believe that they're making any decisions based on kind of a willful, uh, you know, non-willingness to switch. Uh, they're seeing something. There's something wrong. And what that wrong is uh, could be, you know, aging legs. It could be um, difficult attitude. It could be a million things. That we just don't know. But clearly, everybody can see that offensively they play a uh, hundred times better in the three-five-two than they do in the four-four-two. And yeah. and and I think also that the, the, the one other thing, uh, Twelman. And, and this is such a difficult thing because Twelman is such a good player. Uh, you know, Twelman does the things that he does really, really well. Uh, you know, he's a poacher. He he makes the quick little run. He he gets in. He goes after uh, balls, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But he has to have somebody to give him the ball. He has to have a partner. He can't play by himself. And right now, he has no partner. There was an indication before Twelman got hurt in that one game, I think it was in, in June, uh, when he played like 30 minutes or 40 minutes, uh, half of the time when he was playing on one leg, with Kelly Dubé. It looked like they really could have a partnership. I think that that's really the only hope we've got. Get Kelly Dubé up there as fast as you can and let those guys play the last four games together. It's very interesting you bring that up because Twelman after the game in the locker room was clearly... Um, extremely frustrated and uh, voice, voicing his emotions about uh, his thoughts on how that game went, Pro- probably more so than anyone else, at least showing it more than anyone else. So it's interesting you brought that up. He didn't get it really any chances at all, with the exception of that one cross um, that he directed on frame that uh, forced a nice save there. But uh, interesting you brought that up. But one more thing I wanted to bring up about this uh, four-man back line is the Revs used it last time against Columbus, too. Obviously, different personnel because the deal wasn't available. Um, yep. When they suffered a four nothing loss, so right. it, it's not like it worked then either. It's just, it's just um, I, I, I don't know if Nichols trying to you know fix something before the playoffs, as you said, but you got to wonder if this is the right time to do it with just four games left. If, uh, if maybe the the top seed was is more important than that, I don't know. 
Well, at this point, at this point, though, it it, it doesn't matter. It's it's academic. The big thing is not to fall too far. Yeah. Uh, do you want to play? L- l- let's let's presume that if uh, they finish uh, third, they play Chicago. Uh, if they finish second, they play Chicago. If they finish fourth, uh, you know, again, I've been trying to figure out who they <laughs> who they play, but I think it's in the Western. I think they 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 play the number one seed in the Western Division, which would most likely be Houston if they don't get, if Houston doesn't get completely beat up. I think that depends on how many points the teams in the Western Conference have too, to how that all works out. So right, but I think if you're yeah, but but at any rate, my my point is that that they're gonna they're either gonna play Columbus or Chicago. Uh, and so uh, I think they've got to devote the last uh, the last four games to getting the best eleven. That is to say, in the sense of the best team on the field, as opposed to the best eleven players. I think that's the only thing that matters uh, at this point. Uh, it would have been nice to win the Shield. Uh, in some ways, I think they they deserved it for the way that they played in the first. Uh, half of the season, but I think at this point, uh, there's bigger fish to fry. Uh, the other thing is, of course, you know, Houston, which most people, I think, feel is that Houston and Columbus are the two best teams in the league right now. Houston is on this crash course. Uh, they may have the same thing happen to them that happened to the Revs, um, because, you know, they're about to play Pumas uh, Tuesday night. I don't know how many games they have between now and, and November. But they're of the of the top teams in the league now. They're the only one that's still involved with uh, the Champions Cup. So, so that could be that could be a factor. Yeah, it's a good point, and I think I think we're seeing the effects with DC, who hadn't been playing that well, but had started playing better, and now getting this crazy schedule, or uh, can't get any wins. It seems like for them, and uh, I, I think that that competition has successfully killed any chance DC had of coming back and yeah. making it into yeah. the playoffs at this point. So good point you bring up, and I think it will have an effect on Houston, because those games are continuing right up uh, even into the beginning of the playoffs, I believe. Yeah, and it's interesting thinking about that, because uh, I don't know if you saw the interview with Darren, or read the interview with Darren Huckerby. Um, I forget where it's it's posted somewhere on Big Soccer, but it was it was in a uh, uh, on a soccer, soccer website, and Huckerby uh, had two what I thought were really, really interesting observations. The first one was that he felt that most MLS teams, first 11, were of a level to uh, to play in the in the lower half of the Premiership. Um, but the second thing that he said was, after that first 11, it's really bad. And I think that's the truth. And I, I think um, probably on San Jose as an expansion team, even even more so. <laughs> well, yeah, but San Jose, you know, you, you know, the the, the the fact is that um, you look at the you look at these teams that that are are jockeying for uh, potentially trying to win the cup, and I would say the Columbus, Chicago, and Houston all go a bit deeper than that first eleven. And right now, with all due respect, the Revs don't. And we all thought that they'd added a great deal of depth. We hoped that they'd added a great deal of depth. The problem is that the players, the young players that were coming on, have all hit the wall. And the job now that, that Nickel and Mariner and Williams have is to figure out 
how to get these kids over that hump, or at least get enough of them over that hump so that they can play consistently. We don't know how Kelly Dubé is going to do because he's been out for so long. He might go right back and play as well as he was playing before he left. You could argue Kelly Dubé is, in a, in a way, sort of the, the poster child for the Revs this year. When he was playing, they were doing great. When he got hurt, uh, well, uh, they've sort of gone into a swoon. Um, you know, uh, Neasi and Mansali, uh, Neasi seems to have hit a wall. Uh, certainly Phelan and Tierney and uh, those guys have, have hit the wall. Uh, Wells Thompson, who, who, you know, I think it's, it's easy to forget. He was a pretty good player last year. He started the championship game, you know. Uh, he's clearly hit a wall. Uh, in fact, I think the wall has fallen in on him. Uh, Kano Smith has, uh, you know, been better this year, uh, off and on, but he's still a very, very obviously inconsistent player. So uh, Amicha Igwe, who's, you know, got all kinds of potential, seems to have hit a wall, or at least in the judgment of, of, of the coaching staff. And, and at least at the center-back position. <laughs> so how, yeah, so well, and he could be the answer outside, you know? Yeah. How do you get, how do you get these kids uh, here now in October, in two days, how do you get these kids to sort of be revitalized? That's a huge, huge task. And I think that's, if, if they don't, if, if at least a couple of those kids don't get revitalized, I think we go out in the first round easily. Yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely the key. And I think um, Dubé, as you mentioned, may be uh, the most important there is to form a partnership with Tuam because Mansali has never never been a consistent scorer um, in his time this season for the Revs. He had two goals, and he had a, uh, a nice goal last week. Um, but Dubé really showed some strength for the Revs early on in the season. I don't think anyone was expecting much from him coming in, and especially right. now with Crispin out for the rest of the season. Um, I-, I think Dubé is very important for the Revs and whether he can come back in and step up and return to the form he was. Now, people, a lot of people are talking about Rookie of the Year for him this year. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to happen or not, but right. I, I think partly because of the overall not not very impressive rookie class that we've seen um, in MLS this year, um, he's, he's stood out as a supplemental draft pick where he's done so well. Uh, I think that is going to be a key for the Revs particularly, um, whether he can step up and, uh, as you said, become that partner for Twelman and, and uh, overtake Mansali especially and get back into shape. Well, I think when you look at this, you know, this idea of having your best 11 as opposed to the best 11 players, uh, I think, uh, you know, it, it becomes this, uh, this little kind of, uh, uh, table soccer game where you have all these little figures and you, you put one up and then the next one up and then the next one up. I think it's all key. I think if, if Dubé can come back and play effectively, that's going to make Twelman better. Dubé's speed up front is going to make everybody in the next level a little better. Uh, if you've got Dubé and Nyasi coming at you, uh, that really uh, puts some serious fear. Uh, I mean, remember, those guys were terrorizing the Mexican teams uh, with, their, with their speed. Um, if you've got the freedom to do that, then you've got the freedom perhaps to put Ralston back in the center, etc., uh, etc., et all the way back to Reese. Uh, you know, every one of these, every, on a good team, every one of these players what each player does and where each player plays and how each player plays affects the players immediately around them. You know, the, the, the game is broken up, really, into these triangles of partnerships uh, of players that are near one another on the field. And so I think that the key really is Kelly Dubé. Uh, not to put a lot of pressure on the guy, but there you are. Yeah, and that's an excellent point. And, um, I, I, we heard earlier from Shari Joseph and his comments on the game, and 
Um, he talked about the Rasmus and Kano Smith, and I think that's actually uh, true, as inconsistent as he can be. I think recently he's been playing better, and I think he could have helped the Revs um, last night. Um, I, I think one thing from Kano Smith is even more offensively, he's certainly been inconsistent. I think he's gotten better um, defensively this year than we've seen in the past, tracking back and, and doing that maybe where Niasi uh, could probably learn from him the way he's been playing this year. Even when his offense has been lacking, that he's been doing the, the work getting back, and I think the Revs could have used him last night. And certainly, yes. uh, even if he's just an option off the bench, I, I, I do think that Nichols books, he's passed uh, Castro because Castro hasn't been playing as well as he was at the start of the season. Although Castro played, uh, I have to say, Castro played really, really well last night. Uh, he, he, you know, again, he, he's a limited player. Uh, but let's face it, uh, MLS is a league full of limited players. Uh, the, the, somebody once said, and this was in another sport, uh, I forget whether it was baseball or football, but uh, I think it was football where they were talking about why don't the Heisman Trophy winners all you know do so well in the NFL? And and the remark was well you know or the response was well you know the reason is that if you're a good all-around player that doesn't necessarily make you a good professional. What makes you a good professional is if you do something or some things really really well, and then have the understanding how to put yourself in a position to do those things. Uh, and and to not and to cover the things that you don't do well, and I think if you look at some of the best Revolution players, uh, those are guys who who know how to do that. I think the you look at Kano Smith, he's getting better at doing the things that he doesn't do particularly well. Okay, the things that he does well, which are occasionally hit a really really good cross, be fast, get down to the byline uh, and occasionally shoot uh, you know he does that when he does that right he does it as well as anybody in the league shy you know when Kano Smith hits a really really good cross you could close your eyes and think it was David Beckham uh, of course 95% of the crosses he hits aren't that good but you know the point is at the professional level you have to have players who can impress themselves on the game and uh, rather than just sort of good all-around players, some of the, you know, sort of good all-around players, they just disappear at the professional level. They aren't that influential. You've yeah. got to have people who can take the game by the neck and, 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 put, and force themselves on it. Yeah, I, I think that's 100% correct. And I also, going back to your point about Castro, I thought he did have a great game last night, uh, probably his best game in uh, the last couple of months. Um, one of the lone bright spots for the Revs, really, in that match. Um, one of the few guys... Actually, I think the entire match, the Revs' crosses were lacking, and Kasser was one of the guys who was actually consistently, when he had the opportunities, which was certainly limited in something Nickel was talking about, right. uh, trouble getting it out to the wings. But I thought his crosses, I think his cross was the one that actually set up Twelman on that yes. good chance yes, there. Yes, it was. And, and, he, and he took a couple of, he took a really nice free kick, and he hit a, he hit a few other balls, and he, he maintained possession in tight spots. You know, again, uh, he may not be, uh, you know, part of the best eleven. That's that's a question. It may be that Cano makes that eleven on the field better, uh, but certainly Castro is 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 a good player. It's unfortunate that he's not, it seems, uh, good enough in the center to play. You know, to spell Ralston to maybe be uh, another possible number ten. Um, but the fact is that that he's he's a good player. I just I think the next four weeks are going to be or four games, which I guess are four weeks are going to be really, really interesting because I think this is where they take the team back into the machine shop, 
They figure out who their best 11 are in terms of a team, and they just, as they say in Texas, dance with the ones that brung you. <laughs> and that's a great point, too. Um, these next four weeks are, are huge, and um, I don't think it's a very easy schedule for the Revs either with uh, Salt Lake now as a team that I'm yeah. in the playoff picture, but yeah. very, very in a situation where every game is a, pretty much a must-win if they're to hold on to a playoff spot or right. to get a playoff spot going forward. They're actually the eighth team right now, so they'd be the uh, final team to make the playoffs, and right. uh, team's just one point back from them. So uh, that's not going to be an easy game for the Revs because Salt Lake's going to come in there uh, wanting a win, and then um, they have Kansas City, who's not another playoff pitcher either, um, right. in, in these last two games, and could very well be the last game of the year when Kansas City faces the Revs, um, needing a win to, to make the playoffs. So um, I think D.C. as well is another one of those teams. So they're not playing teams at the top of the league, but they're playing the teams that actually have it all to play for, and it's not going to be an easy last four weeks for the Revs. No, it's not going to be easy, and, and more than likely, a, a lot of it will be ugly. <laughs> and I think we may have seen, uh, uh, this is hard to believe, but uh, last night's game may have been uh, the least ugly of the games that we're going to see because the chips are going to be, uh, the stakes are going to be so high. So uh, I think, yes, it's really, it, that's really good in that, in that the, Revs, the Revs cannot afford to let down. I don't think they can slide out of the playoffs unless they you know, lose all four, and even then, I'm not really sure. But they, 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 they can't afford to do that. They have to turn this thing around, and they have to get, uh, you know, if they're going to succeed in the playoffs, they have to get some kind of momentum going and some kind of self-belief. And we do have just a, a minute left here, so uh, before I let you go, I wanted to uh, ask you about uh, RevsNet.com if you have anything coming up. I know your last article um, was right when the Revs were getting out of that horrible streak that they were in with, with one win and in, in, uh, nine games, but... Uh, you have any plans upcoming for uh, yeah? I, I want to talk to Gabriel Badia, and uh, uh, to be very very quick, uh, I think that uh, it's important for uh, those of us in uh, the media, whatever media uh, it is, whether it's uh, radio, uh, writing, etc. I think we need to hold the management's uh, feet in the fire uh, and say, you know, you really have to take that extra effort to uh, improve this team as much as you possibly can. Uh, we're, you know, uh, 10% under the salary cap, supposedly, and uh, Lord knows we could have used an 11th player. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for joining us today, Jim. <laughs> My pleasure. Good luck, Sean. We'll talk soon. And keep up the great work. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. And that was uh, Jim Dow from RevsNet.com. Make sure to check it out at uh, www.revsnet.com. Uh, again, the Revs have an upcoming game on next Saturday against Salt Lake, who, as I said, um, right currently possessing the last playoff spot and really in need of victories to hope that hopefully for them to stay on and, and keep that going. Uh, that game at 7.30 at Gillette Stadium on TV 38. Uh, big game for the Revs and for Salt Lake to see where these two teams are headed. Uh, again, go to revolutionrecap.com to get the archives for the show and information on upcoming shows. And uh, we will be back next week. Thanks for listening.
You're listening to WNRI AM 1380 on Soccer Rhode Island. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.